Good morning, church. Uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, it's good worshiping with you. Thank you, Ethan. Um, for those of you who may not know me that well, uh, I know there's a, a few newer people here. Uh, my name is Paul Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Church, uh, along with Michael and, and Ethan, who is leading us in worship. Um, and you may have noticed from our passage uh, that we just read uh, that we've, we've kind of skipped ahead a little bit. Um, so like we see Peter here, you may be wondering, like, okay, how did, how did we get here from where we were last week? So we skipped ahead just a little bit. Um, so last week we saw Jesus uh, betrayed uh, by Judas um, and arrested after, after spending some time in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and from here he was taken away uh, to be tried before the high priest. Um, and now, as you heard from the passage that we just read, we'll be looking into how Peter responds to accusations from bystanders at this trial um, that he is, he is one of Jesus' followers. So while I want the, the main portion of this message, I will be kind of focused on, on Peter and his recklessness and subsequent denial, betrayal of Jesus. I also don't want to simply just skip over or skip past the events that happened here in the middle. We can learn a whole lot from, from the character of Christ uh, in these verses and how he dealt with, with slander and lies and the persecution that begins here. Um, and we can then... I, turn and apply those things, uh, his response to our own lives and our, our own pursuit of Christ-likeness. Uh, so, so I'll kind of start here by kind of rewinding um, and kind of recapping here uh, what's, what's happened uh, kind of in this in-between stage to kind of set the stage. So, um, and our study through Mark has, has sort of been a kind of a wide-angle view rather than a deep dive into each and every verse. Um, which has allowed us to more clearly see kind of the overarching goal of Christ's coming, um, which is to, to overthrow sin um, and death by, by standing in our place as a perfect sacrifice and to grant eternal life to, to those who would repent um, and follow after him. Uh, so what has happened in the meantime here? Um, so I'll, I'm going to kind of paraphrase verses 53 through 65 of chapter 14. And I encourage you to either go back and read that later or you know, hopefully follow along as best you can here um, through those verses as we kind of recap. But before I get started with that, uh, let me open us in prayer. God, I thank you so much for allowing us to, to be here this morning, uh, to worship you, to sing your praises, to study your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and clarity uh, as we study your word this morning. Help us to come to a deeper understanding of, of your unconditional love and to learn from your response, your perfect response to your accusers. Lord, I pray that you also help us to learn from, from Peter and his imperfect response. Uh, Lord, help us in our unbelief, in our weakness of our flesh, and give us boldness to face accusers in our life uh, and to proclaim your name in confidence. In your name we pray. Amen. So, so following Jesus' arrest uh, at the hands of Judas, who we saw last week, um, Judas, the disciple who betrayed him, uh, and the, the guards of the high priest come into, into the garden. Uh, we saw him arrested. And he was then led away to the home of the high priest Caiaphas, uh, where he was then immediately put on trial. 
And this was kind of the first of six uh, hearings that Jesus could endure over the matter of just the next few hours. Um, as his accusers tried to, to rush this along and what kind of amounted to really a sham trial. And I say sham trial because there, were, there was next to nothing about this hearing that followed the normal legal process uh, according to, to Jewish law. It was actually illegal under Jewish law to, to carry out a trial like this at night. Plus, it was taking place at the home of the high priest instead of the normal public meeting place for the Sanhedrin. So like, why, were they, why were they doing it this way? They knew uh, that if they, if they tried him in public, um, that they were going to have possibly riots on their hands. He, he was becoming kind of a, a popular figure in, in, the, in the crowds here. Um, they even had to, to pay Judas to basically tip them off about where he might be in a private place so that they could detain him. Uh, so following Jesus' arrest, it says Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. You may, may remember that immediately after Jesus' arrest, it tells us that they, uh, the disciples, all left and fled. So the 11 remaining disciples, now that we're not, not counting Judas at this point, go, go running off into the night after, at, at his arrest. Well, Peter must have found some renewed courage out there in the dark somewhere because he then, he then tries to go kind of into, into stealth mode. He kind of is following behind Jesus, Jesus and his captors. And, and really, who knows what his plan really was at this point. Uh, was he planning on taking on this group of armed guards and, and freeing Jesus? Um, or maybe he was just wanting to kind of be there uh, so that he could hear the, the charges and final verdict that were being uh, laid against Jesus. Uh, either way, this is pretty reckless, kind of naive behavior. And, um, but in that, we kind of have to give him, you know, a little bit of a little bit of credit. He at least started out with a lot of courage, and and that's kind of that's kind of Peter's mo. You know, he's 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 kind of known for his rash, kind of passionate actions. Um, so those are kind of his things. And you know, if you remember, Peter was was the one who got got out of the boat and walked on the water with Jesus before. Of course, promptly taking his eyes off of Jesus to look at the at the water around him and and ultimately sinking, um, it was Peter who confidently told Jesus just just a few hours before this that Jesus, you are wrong. But I'm I'm not going to deny you. They, the other disciples, they, they'll fall away, but I I will be here with you even to death. It was also Peter who, who slashed off the ear of one of the guards who was trying to arrest Jesus. So he's been kind of like ready to, to fight and go to war for Jesus this, this whole time. Uh, but we soon see all of this courage just suddenly melt away in the face of really the weakest of threats, the questions of a servant girl. So, so we see Peter find his way right into the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus' first trial is taking place. Uh, he has himself a nice seat next to the fire. Um, and in my mind's eye, he's, he's maybe got his belt, best like stealth cloak on. Maybe, maybe he's got his hood up and he's hiding over here in this dark area. Um, and then that's when like, our attention turns from Peter uh, and where he is in the courtyard to, 
upstairs in the house of Caiaphas. Um, and as I said, this, this hearing that's going on upstairs, it features a whole list of Jewish laws regarding a fair trial being, being bent and, and outright broken. Also, according to Jewish law, in order to convict someone of a capital offense, to execute them, uh, there had to be at least two witnesses that agreed on the account that they were, they were trying them for. But no matter how hard they tried and even lied, they were making up things to, to try and for, they couldn't come up with the same story. So some of these so-called witnesses uh, who were misquoting what Jesus had said when he foretold the temple's destruction, uh, they're, they're coming up with these stories, but, but none of them are, are lining up. They claimed that he had said he was going to destroy the temple himself uh, and rebuild it himself. Um, and then, so, so what they were referring to him, sorry, um, <clears throat> so what they were referring to him, what he had said about really his own, what was going to be happening in the next few days, about his own death and resurrection. Of course, they didn't understand that in the moment. They, they see him as, as saying that he was going to destroy the temple himself. But even with, the, with these accusations, as I said, their stories don't, don't match up. So Caiaphas, who is kind of presiding over this, this hearing, is starting to get, get frustrated. None of this is going as planned. They were hoping to, to rush this along. Um, so finally, he blatantly just asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus, who had been silent through this whole process, remained silent, even, even to this question. And this was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. It says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And how different is that from, from how we handle things? We normally want to just quickly jump to our own defense when someone is lying or misrepresenting us, but that's not what Jesus did. He wasn't there to defend himself. He was there to bear our sin and our shame. So Jesus' silence led Caiaphas to then ask, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? To which Jesus did, did respond, said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas, at this point, is basically like, ha, I can see there, we've, we've got him now. Uh, they basically take, take this as a confession of the accusations of blasphemy and resolve to carry on with his trial and execution. And then they immediately just begin to, to beat him and mock him. And then this is where our attention turns back to Peter, where he's still, still sitting here in the, in the dark, um, thinking that he's, he's not been noticed yet. Um, even just in the middle of the guards and bystanders here in, in Caiaphas' courtyard, sitting by the fire. Um, and as we come to this passage, I kind of like to, well, I don't know if it's like is, a, is the right thing. I've always kind of felt like I had a similar 
experience to, to that of Peter's denial uh, and repentance. And however, a much more silly, of less serious, no, no real danger uh, type situation like Peter faced here. Um, so to, for those of you who may not know, um, I, I was raised in church in, in the South. Um, and specifically, yeah, like in this southern kind of small town Bible Belt youth group culture of, of the 2000s. So to try to give you a little bit of, of a brief concept of, of that specific church culture uh, at the time, it, it often, at least in the church that I attended, would be characterized by big crowd drawing events, uh, high on entertainment, but at times low on real theologically sound teaching or solid Christian discipleship. Now that said, the, the intentions were, were good, um, and I did learn a lot about God, learned a lot about the Bible, uh, even became a true believer uh, at this point in my life. Um, and of course it helped that my family was committed to teaching me and leading me to Christ daily at home. So I don't want to just give you the bad impression of, of my childhood church, but all of that is to give you sort of the setting of, of this story here, my little Peter experience that occurred at one of these kind of big uh, youth events. Um, so this event was a, a youth re retreat weekend uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old. Uh, one of the nights of this retreat, we were at, we were at our church, and uh, our youth leaders were having us play this game uh, that they were calling Secret Church. Uh, and it was essentially just this big role-playing type game um, set in, I guess, sort of the time of, of the early church. They had all the lights in the in the church all turned off for this kind of eerie night effect. Um, all of us kids were told that we were supposed to be kind of playing the role of, of early church Christians. And the adults then were, were I guess, playing sort of the oppressive government uh, or police force who were kind of trying to you know, chase us down and catch us and put us in prison, that sort of thing. And the many rooms and hallways of the church were then like the, the streets of, of the city. Um, so the object of, of the game was then that we were supposed to be looking for this hidden room that was the secret church, all while the, the adults are kind of chasing us down and questioning us and stuff, uh, who would then take us to jail, the jail room. And I know this is kind of an odd, odd game. That's why I wanted to kind of set, set that up with the, kind of the church culture I, I grew up in there. I'm not exactly sure what it was we were supposed to be learning from, from this odd game. Um, it, it really had turned out to be a whole lot of fun, but looking back at it years later, I'm like, what, what were we supposed to be uh, getting out of this? Uh, because what we really did kind of end up learning while we were playing this game was we could, we could just lie. When, when they caught us, we could just make up a story, uh, and they would let us go. So we learned to lie in, our, in my youth group that night. Um, um, so, but we, yeah, we could just, you know, just make up a story and get out of our tight spot. Um, after the game had been going on for a while, myself and another kid around my age were, were caught by our youth intern, and he was, he was really getting into his uh, Christian hunter uh, role here. Um, I still remember him looking at me and asking, you, asking me, are you one of those Christians? And I quickly, of course, I'd learned in the past few minutes of this game to just make up something. So I said, no, no. And I tried to make up a, a story that so he would let me let me go. That had happened a few other times throughout this game already, so I thought it might, might work again. Um, but instead of listening to the story that I was trying to make up, he, 
immediately turns to the girl that was next to me that he had also fought and asks the same thing. Are you one of those Christians? Uh, and she said, yes, yes I am. So, and his tone immediately just changed. And he said, okay, follow me. Uh, and they, they left me standing there in the dark hallway, uh, feeling like a terrible person, feeling like a Peter here. Um, but, I, but I had figured it out. I had figured the game out. Some of the adults were actually playing undercover Christians, and they didn't tell us that before the game started. Um, so my very next action was then to run straight for the next adult that I could find. Um, and the questioning went the same way as it had just gone. Uh, luckily, I guess it was one of those undercover ones. I didn't care at that point. I just wasn't going to deny him again. Um, and I did what the, what the other girl had done. I said, yes, I am. Um, and that, that person led me to the, the hidden room that I had not been able to find up to this point in the game. Um, and even in that, that silly game that, that, didn't, that didn't really matter, in that moment when I realized what I had done, uh, that left an impression on me. So, you know, as silly of a game as it was, I did I did kind of learn from that uh, something other than just uh, lying. <laughs> um, so we like to give Peter a hard time in our heads, and when we when we read this passage about his denial, and think that that we would do better. But where were the other ten disciples? Probably where we would be, hiding behind some locked doors somewhere, hoping not to be found. So we have, have to give Peter some credit here uh, for his courage, but not so much for his wisdom in putting himself in this situation. There wasn't going to be much positive result uh, from going to this place, from putting himself in this position to be tempted. As Christians, we have, we have a lot that we can learn uh, from the boldness of Peter. Not only here, but from after Jesus' resurrection, and ascension into heaven, uh, he, Peter becomes kind of one of the main bold voices proclaiming Christ in the first part of the book of Acts. Later on, all of the disciples uh, would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which allowed them to have boldness and courage to grow the church um, and further God's kingdom in ways that far surpassed their own weakness uh, and cowering fear where they are now. And that, that power isn't something that makes them as men any more special. We have that same power dwelling in us now that we see them have in, in the book of Acts. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John, It is to your advantage that I go away, for, I do not, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. While we can learn from the great things that the Holy Spirit eventually did through men like Peter, we can also learn from, from his mistakes, from the times that, that he and, and the rest of the disciples displayed very little wisdom. J.C. Ryle uh, says of Peter following Jesus into this place, there was no wisdom in this act. Having once forsaken his master and fled, he ought to have remembered his own weakness and not to have ventured into danger again. It brought on him fresh trials of faith, for which he was utterly unprepared. It threw him into bad company, where he was not likely to get good but harm. Then, then Ryle goes on to say that the believers seldom make 
only one stumble or mistake, but, like a stone rolling down a hill, the further he goes on in sinning, the faster and more decided his course. We must avoid putting ourselves in, in positions like, like Peter had placed himself. He had good intentions, but he's kind of playing with fire here. Uh, even the, the last petition of the Lord's Prayer says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should avoid it at all costs. So let's read again uh, verses 66 through 68. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. So here Peter is, and where we left him in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house. Um, guards and bystanders kind of all around him. And maybe even thinking that he's really accomplished something at this point. That he is, he's made it this far, made it into the gates of, of the high priest's house. Uh, and no one's noticed him yet. Uh, maybe he can even hear the trial going on upstairs. And thinking maybe this is, a, this is a good position to be in. I, I kind of can follow along and see what's, what's going on, what they're accusing him of. Um, then suddenly, from the mouth of a young servant girl, he hears, Hey, you're with that guy, Jesus. And this seems to have startled him. Uh, he thinks he's, he's been stealthy up to this point. Um, but it, then he, he claims he has no idea what she's talking about and immediately tries to, to get away from her, maybe to avoid further questioning. Um, and, you know, I could say that this was wise, except that he didn't go far enough. He should have realized at this point, this is not good. I need to just completely get out of here. But he, he moves away from her and stays within the courtyard. Apparently Peter doesn't really realize what he's just done. Even after he hears this first rooster crow, he's just denied Jesus just like Jesus had said that he would just a few hours earlier. He had said that he would never do this. He basically told Jesus, you're wrong. I will never do this. I'll even die with you. Peter thought of himself as the strong one in the group, like, a, like an oak tree, not, not just easily knocked down, but at this simple question of this young girl, he's already beginning to, to crack. And there's really no indication even that this young girl had any hostility uh, in her voice um, it wasn't even it wasn't one of the armed guards pointing a sword in his face just just a little servant girl and it can take even the smallest of temptations like this to lead to a great fall of even someone like Peter so we should ourselves beware of little sins and little temptations to quote J.C. Ryle again, there is nothing little that concerns our souls. Nothing little that concerns our souls. So then what happens next? Uh, starting again in verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. 
So Peter, having having his cover nearly blown uh, by this girl, and then not even realizing that he had begun to deny his Lord already, instead of fleeing the situation entirely, just moves to another place inside the courtyard. He failed to identify the temptation that he was placing himself in and remove himself from it. Again, isn't, isn't this so typical of how we deal with our own temptations? Instead of completely removing ourselves from it, avoiding whatever it is, we try to find that elusive sweet spot uh, where we can stand as close to it as possible in hopes that we can still avoid the sin that we know it will lead to. But for Peter, this pesky little girl uh, soon finds him again. But this time, she starts sharing her suspicions uh, with others around her. Uh, and this makes me wonder, you know, and this is just in my own weird thoughts, but is, is Malchus around? Malchus was the one who had his, his ear temporarily removed just, just a little while ago by Peter. But I imagine if he's around, he probably remembers the guy's face. Um, and I like to think that, you know, and again, this is not in Scripture, but that maybe after having his ear healed by Jesus, he realized there's something different about this guy, and he takes himself away from the temptation, from the evil, uh, unlike what Peter had done. Of course, that's all in, in my own thoughts, but that would be cool to think that he continued to follow Christ after that point. Uh, but now, with Peter, the tension is building quickly. Others are taking notice. Uh, and he denies Jesus to the girl again. But the more he talks, the more people are catching on. It says, Bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. So they, at this point, were likely taking notice of his accent. Uh, I'm sure those of you who are from, from here in Vermont, uh, I know you can, under, you can hear my southern accent, uh, but I'm sure you can even hear different types of accents from different areas, even within Vermont. Um, so these people here are possibly taking notice of his seaman accent. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe they're smelling the fish on his hands still. That's, that's, that stuff's hard to get out of your hands once you have it on there. And he's been fishing a long time. Um, but now Peter is starting to get kind of overwhelmed and starting to panic. and begins to, it says... Invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. So when it says he's cursing himself and swearing, it likely doesn't mean that he's just just starting to use bad language, but may have been something even more severe, like I swear in the name of God I don't know this man, or God strike me dead if I'm lying to you. And immediately after this third and most defiant denial of Jesus, the rooster crows a second time. Just as Jesus had said, they would. He didn't seem to notice it really the first time, um, and not only does the memory come rolling back back to haunt him now, um, but let's look at how the Gospel of Luke records it. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. The Lord turned and looked at him. So apparently these two scenes are either within line of sight of each other, or maybe this is at the point of, of the trial that they've already begun to beat Jesus and they're possibly leading him out through the courtyard. 
You can't even imagine that that look. Even as he is finishing up his current sin, Jesus looks at him. The face of Jesus that is likely already bruised and bloodied turns and maybe even makes eye contact with Peter while he's still finishing up denying him the third time. And have you ever said said something you know you shouldn't have behind someone's back, uh, and then turn to realize that they're, they're right there behind you? That's not a, that's not a good feeling. Um, but how much more must Peter be feeling that right now, as he's been denying Jesus, as he said that he wouldn't, and then there's Jesus. But but what was in that look from Jesus? Was it disgust with Peter? I really don't think so. Um, Sinclair Ferguson says that look was to be his salvation, and he saw in those eyes not condemnation but compassion. That was the turning point in his life. Now in this most painful and memorable of ways, Peter saw himself as he really was, repented, and remade into the great apostle. So how was Peter's experience of guilt here different from what we have recently seen from Judas. Because we remember Peter pretty fondly today, uh, but not so much of Judas. You don't, you don't hear many kids named Judas anymore. Um, but didn't Judas experience crushing guilt from his sin as well? He even returned the 30 pieces of silver uh, that, he, that was paid to him for his betrayal of Jesus. For Judas, though, we see no true repentance after this. And we, we can't equate the guilt that we have or that Judas had with repentance. Even people who never believe, never have true faith in the saving grace of Jesus can experience guilt at times. Judas would have known Jesus personally quite well, but he never knew him. He never had faith in him. The guilt that he experienced did not lead him to repentance and true faith in Jesus. Instead, it led him to go and, and take his own life. For Peter, his guilt crushed him in this moment. Similar to, to Judas's experience of guilt, but for Peter, his life was then transformed from this moment on. One day... We will all have a moment, something like this, um, and actually we, we really probably already have had some moment where we've either stood up and, and proclaimed Christ or not, um, hopefully not in quite as high pressure, dramatic a situation as that of Peter's here, uh, but in that moment, we have to be willing to stand up and identify ourselves as ones who belong to Jesus. And again, it may not be as severe of a situation, but when it comes, remember what Mark 8:38 says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy angels. I can't imagine a more embarrassing experience than standing before Jesus and him saying to me, I'm I'm ashamed of you. Shame on you. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit keeps us all from making that mistake. 
But as I begin to kind of finish up here, what else can we take away from this, from Peter's experience? Yes, we need to have boldness that, that Peter liked to think that he had a lot of to proclaim Christ and him crucified. But where do we get that power from to do that? Certainly not from ourselves. That's where Peter thought he was finding it in this story. And look where that led him. Our confidence should come from the Holy Spirit. Our weak flesh that we are still trapped in for a time can never muster this kind of boldness. And if you, if you begin to think that you're managing to muster up some self-confidence or empowerment, beware of that. There is a danger in self-confidence. Now, I'm, I'm not saying in this that, that we should practice self-hate or just always be down on ourselves, but that we should be boasting all the more in the Lord. Our society today is continually telling us that people's biggest problem is, is not having enough self-confidence. The message is, is all about personal empowerment now. The world wants you to believe that, that if something's not going right in your life, so it's either someone else's fault or you just aren't being your true, authentic self. And that message says that you should have more pride in being your authentic self. And be empowered by that. But that is not the message that we find in the Bible. Our true selves are full of pride and weakness and sin. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's almost like that was talking about Peter, or about us, really. Um, John MacArthur says in one of his sermons, Pride and self-confidence is the very arrow point of sin. That's where sin starts. To fail to distrust yourself is to put yourself in a very dangerous place. Sin starts with pride. I pray that we all have boldness rooted not in ourselves, but in the Holy Spirit to endlessly proclaim to the world the message of Christ and Him crucified as a ransom for many. I pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to know when to speak and when to be silent as Jesus was. And I pray that he gives us wisdom and discernment to see temptation and to run the other way. As fellow disciples of Christ today, one of us, we all will at some point kind of wander away into that temptation and sin. And we need this fellowship of brothers and sisters like we have here to point us back to Christ. To point that out in each other's lives. And that, that's not an easy thing to do. We must continually disciple each other towards that Christ-likeness. Let me pray for it. God, I pray these things that, that I've just mentioned. Uh, Lord, that you give us boldness to proclaim you, Lord, even when we know the consequences. Lord, we, we don't even often face consequences like that of Peter in this situation. We just are afraid of being embarrassed at work. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness to proclaim you, to remain silent when we need to remain silent and not 
just defending ourselves, but Lord, to speak up and, and to defend you, to proclaim you. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment to stay away um, from temptation, to run as far from it as we can. And Lord, I pray for this church and for the church as a whole, with your body, Lord, that we we do judge each other. Lord, we are called to do that, to correct each other when we see our brother or sister straying off into temptation and sin. We don't often see that in ourselves, but we can often see that in our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you give us the, the courage to even speak that out to, to our fellow believers. Lord, I thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that it, it changes our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.